when you want young students to start developing ideas on their own, they first have to have somewhat of a mastery over the language. Then they can start to extrapolate and make ideas and, and be creative. And it doesn't require absolute mastery. It doesn't need, you don't need to be studying the English or whatever language from birth till 50 or 60 years old or be the, uh, you know, a Nobel laureate poet or whatever. You can start with creativity at the very youngest ages as long as you have even the first bits of literacy. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. And today we welcome Adrian Gordon, an internationally performed composer and seasoned music educator. Mr. Gordon is director of orchestras at Province Day School and founder of Leap Year Music Publishing, which publishes string music for elementary, middle, and high school assembles. He is also the author of the book Note to Self, a music director's guide for transitioning to a new school and building a thriving music program. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Cindy, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the first episode that we've had someone talk exclusively about music and and the relationship of music and creativity. Am I right, Cindy? That is absolutely correct. We have not had anyone with the musical background. We've had a lot of artists and Matt and I actually have a theater background, but we haven't had anyone with a music teaching background. So welcome. Yeah, glad to be the first. (laughs) You've got an interesting career because you started outside the school system and then you kind of transitioned into the school system. So perhaps you could start off by telling us a little bit about your background and that transitional journey that took place. Before I got started in the classroom, I was doing a lot of songwriting, a lot of singing and performing, publishing, and that was that was my main focus. That was my main goal. I love the idea of creating music. Um, I love the idea of creating melodies on my guitar, and that was a big deal for me. And then I went to school and you know got a deeper understanding and deeper education on all that. And then when I got into the classroom. I would say it was really fun watching the light bulbs in the students' heads go off and seeing how young you could get these students involved with music and develop a deep appreciation and just uh, watch them pursue music uh, and develop that passion for it. So that's been really fun for me. But yeah, now I am in the classroom setting. I'm in the orchestral setting. I I teach string orchestra for grade five, uh, five through 12. And that's been wonderful because I I get to watch students learn from scratch. You know, they don't know anything. They walk in the door, a blank slate, and they come in uh, knowing nothing. And then all of a sudden you start to see them blossom and develop into these wonderful musicians, creative uh, people. And and they have these lifelong pursuits in music, which is fantastic. I would love to hear more about your own process for creating music. What do you go through when you're creating a piece of music? I would say it changes every single time, but um, what I've done, 
I've, cre- I've kind of created a, a compositional mind map. And what that does, it kind of guides my thinking. So I start to think about what am I envisioning for this next piece, whether it's a song, whether it's a, an instrumental piece. I'll think about instrumentation. Okay, what instrument am I hearing? Where do I envision? Then I like to think about, okay, is this going to be a fast tempo? Is this slow tempo? Is it a medium tempo? So I'm, I'm starting to give myself parameters for what this piece is going to look like. I also think it's important to draw pictures. So I end up drawing pictures too. So I can have imagery of where I want this piece to go. And then any words that come to mind, any like top of mind words, just whatever first thing I think of, I'll write that down on that compositional mind map. And um, from there, I start to craft the ideas. And a lot of times when I get stuck or I have these bouts of writer's block, what I tend to do is set limitations. So I made a a video not too long ago where I talk about how I was writing something and I had this really big bout of uh, writer's block and I ended up giving myself a limitation for the musicians out there of arpeggios. So I said, okay, let me think about arpeggios. Just think about arpeggios. Don't think about anything else and see what you can come up with because the idea of looking at that blank page and not knowing which direction to go it's kind of daunting. So when you give yourself those limitations, uh, it's not to say that you stay there, but that it just becomes a starting point where you can really branch out and, and grow uh, and develop your ideas from there. And, you know, that that sounds like a, a really interesting, you know, dare I say, kind of divergent thinking ideation type activity associated with music. And I'm just wondering, have you brought some of these activities or processes that you have in your professional environment into the curriculum? Yeah, right now, actually, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm working with a youth orchestra. I've been commissioned to do a piece where I'm kind of weaving all of their mini compositions together into a larger work. And we've talked about using this compositional mind map. What are you seeing? What colors do you think of? What sounds do you imagine? What, you know, what pictures have you, have you come up with? I'm taking all these ideas from these students and we're we're kind of weaving them together into this larger full orchestral work, which is going to be really, really fun. But yeah, that's the the best way right now I can think of that. I'm I'm kind of weaving all these things together uh, with students in in, in curriculum. This sounds fantastic. And, And for someone who doesn't have a music background, I was wondering if you have any resources or examples of what you're talking about that we can potentially add as a link to the show? Yeah, I have a, uh, I have a copy, a PDF copy of that compositional mind map, and I can um, send it to you guys so you can link it in the show notes. That's okay. Done. As long as, so long as you're happy with that, done. So our listeners are hearing the fact that, you know, just scroll down and there'll be a link to this because I don't know about you, Cindy, but doesn't I've, I've never really heard of, of this type of activity, but it seems so creative and a wonderful way of engaging students' creativity through the process of making music. I think it sounds so much fun. And it actually makes me think about how could I do that as an adult? Like it, it just you know, learning something and then thinking about all of the elements that come with music and how to weave those together and then taking all of the different students and trying to create one piece, I think sounds magical. When will you be doing this? Well, we've already started. It's with the Empire State Youth Orchestra in uh, Albany, New York. So we already started. We've taken, which what's really cool, we've uh, we've taken some videos of their improvisational conversations. So we they've sat down two students at a time, and they've just done improvisations with each other, just 
instrumentally talking back and forth. And from there, I'm pulling these ideas that the students have come up with um, and also some of their mini compositions. So they've taken this compositional mind map and they've gone through it and they've made some mini compositions. And from the improvisations, from the mini compositions, and also they, I guess they had the, um, just some kind of graph or, or chart where they've written down a couple words that come to mind when they hear the theme of, of the piece. So I'm taking a lot of these words, these improvisations, this mini compositions, and really creating this larger work, uh, which is really, really interesting. And uh, I've been able to sit with the students and talk with them uh, remotely, ask them what comes to mind. So one of the questions that I just met with one of this, uh, a group of the students uh, two days ago, so one of the first questions I asked them is, Hey, if I'm your buddy and I tell you this is a theme and the theme is stop the violence, show kindness. If I say, hey, I got to show you this new track. It's called Stop the Violence, Show Kindness. What's the first instrument that you imagine you would hear on that track when I hit the play button? And that's really great because it starts the the thought process of, okay, what am I hearing? It, it, there's no right or wrong answer. It's really what do I see? What do I envision? And one of the great things uh, through this whole creative process is, is watching the students all come up with common answers. So the most common instrument that I'm hearing from them is the cello. I don't know why, but that's what they envision. So now I'm going to take their responses and make that a part of uh, the composition. So it's it's really a, a really nice group effort, uh, a collaborative work, which I'm super excited about. What age level are you doing that with? This is the, the tricky part. It's going to be for first grade all the way through 12th grade. Wow. So we have quite a range. Yeah, it's, it's quite a range. So I, right now I've spoken to all the younger ones who are, I think, in first and second grade. I've spoken to middle school, and I believe today I, I'm actually speaking to some of the high school students and get their input. So from all of this information, then I'm just going to go through and sift through and see what what can be used and what can be woven together to make a really nice piece that fits the theme but also incorporates a lot of their ideas so um you know it's really just a a grand work of you know collaboration between me and all the students it sounds wonderful and it reminds me of the work of Teresa Mable, who has done work on a confidential model of creativity, where she looks at domain skills and creativity skills. And when I think about music, and my son is a musician, he's only 15, but he is a musician, and he plays the saxophone, the alto sax. And, you know, he has to learn the domain skills of being able to identify the notes and play the notes. But then there's these creativity skills, and a lot of that comes out with the improvisation in terms of how do I create these notes into something else. So I think that's a beautiful way to look at the work that you're doing is through these domain skills that you're teaching them about the notes and how to play and how to put the right pressure on the the various instruments. And then you have these skills of like this improvisation that goes back and forth where I think the creative magic actually happens in music education. What are your thoughts on that? What's funny is you're, you're referring to literacy. So you're talking about that literacy component in making music where, yeah, there are those elements that you have to develop with uh, note reading, understanding technique. Those have to happen just the same that you see in language. When you want young students to start developing ideas on their own, they first have to have somewhat of a mastery over the language. Then they can start to extrapolate and make ideas and, and be creative. 
And it doesn't require absolute mastery. It doesn't need, you don't need to be studying the English or whatever language from birth till 50 or 60 years old or be the, uh, you know, a Nobel laureate poet or whatever. You can start with creativity at the very youngest ages as long as you have even the first bits of literacy. And that's what I think is what you're alluding to with your son. He has some of these literacy components with understanding how to play the instrument, how to create sound, characteristic sound on the instrument, how to read. And from there, he started to develop his own ideas. And you can see that in improvisation. And yes, there is jazz improvisation, but there also is improvisation beyond that where you can just start playing and creating sounds that, you know, whatever you think is pleasing to you, whatever... um, Whatever you want, really. It doesn't have to be in a specific genre or a specific style. It could be whatever you want. And I think that's really important to start at a young age. Uh, you can do it through instrumental music. It can be through vocal music, which I think is a little bit more accessible. And you'll see a lot of that in the general music class. There is validity to starting with literacy at the very uh, beginning stages, but then immediately moving to creativity. And developing creativity alongside of the literacy component. And, and I love that the connection that, that you made there, Cindy, in, in your response to that question, Adrian. And I certainly can relate to the improvisation piece because I would say that my eldest who plays the piano expresses divergent thinking in lots of different domains and quite often wanting to deviate from scripts and do his own thing. And typically when he gets his piece at the piano, I've noticed that he would typically play the piece in a very different way every time he plays it. Even when we end up at his his piano recital, I'm hearing a completely different song and emotion. But the, the other piece that I commend you for is how you've kind of been able to kind of make this applicable throughout the grades. I mean, it's such a huge age group that you're spanning there from first grade all the way to high school. You're able to engage everyone and engage their creativity by simply asking that very great inviting question of what do you think of when you hear this theme? And I'm just sitting there and I'm just wondering how many other subjects in school provide that opportunity. And my gut feeling is probably not that many. I feel like you're offering something to this community that they might not be getting in other school experiences. Yeah. And this is, you know, kind of out of my domain, but I always, when I was growing up, I kind of felt like these subjects that we're teaching, these core subjects, yeah, they're important, but can we couple them with something that is important and relevant to the students? So for example, if you have a student who is crazy about sports, you're going to have a hard time catching them in a math class. But what if you incorporated sports statistics, you know, with, uh, with, with math, you know, so that the student isn't just thinking like, oh, I'm just sitting here. This is not applicable. What if we talked about, okay, your experience in sports, let's talk about how this relates. How do we, how are we going to keep stats of everything you see on the court or on the field make it all come together, make it relevant for the students. I always felt that was a a missing component in education. And I think you're going to see a lot uh, heavier push for excellence because it's something that's so important to them. Again, I'm speaking outside of my realm of expertise, but I always felt that those were important components that were missing from core education classes. For those listening who are charged with leading a music program at their school or trying to integrate music education with little resources, what do you think, Adrian, makes a good music program? 
for one, everybody needs to feel welcome. I think everybody needs to feel like they have a, a place in your program. Um, and I also think that the focus, it, it needs to be on people. I always talk about how, yes, we are in the field of music, but more so we're in the field of people. Um, and I think if we remember that, we're going to be building stronger programs. And music happens to be the vehicle to develop a social skills, I think, character skills like uh, responsibility, collaboration, you know, all these things that are really important that we want students to get. Those are important for us to remember as we uh, start building our programs. Those are the ideas that we want to pass along to our students. So if we keep that at the forefront of our thinking, I think those successful programs will fall in line. I'm finding myself making a connection to innovation spaces in, in a weird way. We, we've done a few different shows around the maker movement and innovation spaces, and, and they typically center around you know, technology, there's a relationship to STEM in a previous episode with Michael Mino. He was talking about kind of like, you know, the relationship between maker spaces and, and shop of the past. But we've kind of sometimes made this connection that it's, it's like a physical space or an experience that you're providing outside of that core curriculum, outside of that, the kind of like traditional model of education. And, you know, from, from what you're sharing, this kind of project-based learning approach that's highly inviting to the various different elements of creativity, it strikes me that in some ways, you're actually providing the type of learning experience that we quite often associate with with makerspaces. And so I'm just wondering, what's your take on all of that? Well, I kind of feel like the music classroom is a makerspace because you are creating. And there's a lot of things that are not written on the paper. We talk about musicality. Some things are implied in the music so, for example, you see repeated notes in music. Typically, a composer won't write exactly what they want you to do, but you as a musician will understand, okay, it's a repeated figure. What can I do to add musicality, make it more interesting? Um, so, you know, those are the times where you can start asking questions. Hey, orchestra or a band or, or a choir, what can we do to kind of shape this phrase so you're not only are you performing, but you're also, in some cases, arranging the music. You know, you have the, the setting, but now we're adding these nuances to it, and you're allowing the students to have room to to build and to create and arrange, even if it's in the smallest way. You know, even these small ways where you're just inquiring and probing about how can we make this music different or more interesting, more nuanced, more detailed, whatever it is. Um, you're giving them that space. So I, I always felt like the music classroom is just in it of itself a, a, a maker space where there's just nothing but creativity going on if you let it be. And you've just described the iterative process, which quite often is a significant core of maker spaces, is this idea of constantly refining your work. Out of curiosity, now I've made this connection with maker spaces. Are there any apps that you know that, you know, might facilitate a kind of cool music activity in a makerspace? Uh, one app that I am really fond of, it's called Soundtrap. And it's actually owned by Spotify. And it has its educational applications. But what it does, it allows students to collaborate from anywhere. Um, they have their digital audio workstation in the browser. <laughs> you have your, your digital audio workstation in the browser. You know, you can add whatever you want, like vocals, you can add instrumentals, you can add loops, pre-recorded loops into your music. 
Um, so you can really start collab. You have the collaborative process. You have the arranging process. Really, you can make whatever you want. So during COVID, that was a really great app and tool to uh, use with my students so that they could work remotely, develop whatever they want. You know, So I, I would say something like, I want you guys to develop your own composition. The only stipulation that I have is that your instrument has to be played live on there. So you can do whatever you want. You can add loops to it. Um, you can make it something holiday related, you know, whatever you want. And I just have one stipulation that your your instrument is added into it. And what we ended up doing is at the concert, we ended up doing a little Grammys uh, award show where we, we judged all the compositions and, and gave out some iTunes gift cards for the for the best composition. So it was a lot of fun, but you know the kids enjoyed it. They were able to collaborate. We put them in groups of three, four, or five kids at a time, and um, they took it seriously. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch them build their own compositions and, and be able to do that anytime, any place. You know, some days we'd work on it in class, and they were they'd be on their stations, and um, they could be at home. They could be recording their instruments. It was fantastic. So I would highly recommend that soundtrack. That sounds like so much fun. So let's talk about a thriving music program. What does a thriving music program actually look like? Like I said before, I think if you have a program that's focused on inclusion, where everybody feels welcome, you've met students where they are in terms of their proficiency, and you build from there, you are a caring leader who make sure that you're seeing past the content and, and checking in with the students and, and building relationships with them, um, but also developing a level and a, an expectation of excellence. I think there is that component where you, you want to develop excellence. You know, I always tell my students, we love, we all love music and we all like to go to concerts. How many concerts do you want to go to where you pay a lot of money to hear like a, you know, a D plus concert? And the students generally will say, no, if I'm paying good money for that, I'd like to hear an A-plus concert. Well, I say the same thing to, you know, about your your friends and your family. Maybe they're not paying money, but they're paying with their time. And we want to respect that and make sure that we're showing up prepared so that we don't um, dishonor their time. So I, I think a program that's also centered on building excellence, um, and it doesn't mean perfection, but constant progress and show markers of progress in your playing and your understanding of music. I think that's really important. Now, this question is directly for, for music educators and in, in the focus of your book, perhaps new music educators who are transitioning to school. At least in, in my son's school, I look at the kind of music teacher and how much responsibility they take on during the festive period where they've got the Thanksgiving concert and then they've got the, the, the holidays uh, concert that comes up in, you know, just three or four weeks later. It seems to me there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of things on their shoulders. They're having to coordinate a lot. Think about some of the examples that you shared. How does a new music teacher balance this and, you know, something that you've touched on in your book also maintain kind of good mental health throughout this process? One of the big things is to write stuff down. So that's that's been a big thing for me. I've been really reliant on my calendar and on my task list. I have a, a digital one, Google Task, that just helps me organize my thoughts and my uh, my priorities. And then I, in the book, I talk about letting your concerts embody your vision of excellence, which means that we don't over-program as music educators. We understand that quality is going to be better than quantity. So set your students up for success and program quality music 
And if that means you have a less number of performances, but higher quality where the students walk away feeling like, man, I really accomplished something. I could see my growth. I felt like this was a great experience where I started from zero and I'm now at a hundred and I'm able to show that and share that with the community and affect, you know, emotionally affect people that I'm playing for. That's the goal as opposed to just stuffing our calendars with performances all season long that really don't mean much and are not going to show growth uh, in the students. Because at the end of the day, if we're not showing growth for the, for the students, we're not really, you know, we're not doing them justice. In your opinion, how does music education promote childhood creativity? Well, I think music in general is just so universal. And I've talked about that in the past where I think, you know, no matter what continent you are everyone understands music and everyone can identify music it may be a different style maybe a different genre you know uh, different instrumentation but we understand when we hear music and i think that's so important so in that regard the fact that it's it's so universal that's important and then i think naturally it just allows it just allows students to be free i think you don't have to ask permission you know, to create something on your instrument or to sing something, typically kids just do it, <laughs> you know, whereas, um, you know, when you're, when you're learning to read and write, it, it might, there might be some stumbling blocks before you start to do a lot of that. But typically, even if a student doesn't know anything about music, they'll sit at a piano and start banging on some notes, just trying to create something and hear something that's pleasing to them. So the accessibility of it, I think, is important. I think the universality of it is important. Yeah, and then I think it just involves so many different things. It involves, you know, the kinesthetic and the, the visual, the aural. There's so many components that are happening at the same time, which is why I think it's so intriguing to a lot of uh, young kids. It just it touches so many parts of their being. It just makes, it makes perfect sense as to why it would be uh, so inviting to a lot of kids. Well, Adrian, thank you so much to that. And I wish we had more time to talk about this idea of music being a bridge to the community because I think there's probably another opportunity to kind of um, talk more about that. But unfortunately, we do have to wrap it up. We finish up all of our episodes by asking our guests to share three tips relevant to creativity that educators can kind of take away and begin to think about or implement immediately. Well, I think the first thing you'd want to do is share your personal creative endeavors. So I like to share my personal creative endeavors with composition with my students. And I think that's, that's important. If you want to inspire that in others, talk about what you've done. And then I think asking questions is important. I think once you start asking questions, probing questions, you start that creative process. Because now, without students even knowing it, they're starting to think about solutions. They're starting to think about problems and solutions. So yeah, asking questions is a, is a great part of that too. And then I think the last part would be just the experiment. Don't be afraid uh, to dive in and, and get things wrong because it's not necessarily failure. It's just being able to try again with more information. 
Fantastic. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in Adrian's work, check out his website, which we will post below, and check out his new book, Note to Self, a music director's guide for transitioning to a new school and building a thriving music program. If you enjoyed this episode today, we ask that you identify a colleague or friend who you think will enjoy it and send it to them via email or social media. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Woward. This episode was produced by Creativity and Education in partnership with WarwoodClassroom.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.